How are y'all this morning? I am doing amazing because when I drove in this morning, there was snow. And I was like a giddy little child. And all, all season long, I've just been loving this, my very first autumn here in Minnesota. And I just, every like nippy morning, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like so excited. And, but the thing is like, all of my friends are kind of like raining on my parade because they're like, oh, Sheeta, winter is coming. And I'm like, do not talk to me like we are in Game of Thrones. Just let me enjoy my autumn-loving self. So this morning when there was snow on the ground, I was like, yes, Jesus is going to be a good day because you see me and you know that I love the winter. So I don't know if it was encouraging for you, but it was really energizing for me. So good morning. All right, so we are at the end of our six-week series called You Before Me. It's our intentional look at hospitality as kingdom people. Because we know that uh, in our culture, hospitality has a lot of baggage around it. It's a, it's a really weighted concept. Because for some, hospitality means you have the best, biggest house, you built your deck with your bare hands, and you, you are the grill master. So everybody comes to your house for barbecue. Maybe hospitality means that you are really extroverted. And so you, you talk to anybody and everybody and everyone's your friend and you know their name and they know your name. And, and so hospitality to some means that you just have this kind of personality that just makes friends everywhere you go. Hospitality has to do with your personality. Um, but here at Woodland, we like to think about kind of the cultural uh, concepts, the cultural things that we think about. We like to think about them through the lens of the kingdom. And we like to ask ourselves, what is uniquely kingdom about the way we can express this thing that we see out in the culture? Because hospitality in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to want to have people over to your space because you've built your deck with your bare hands. It's not a bad thing to want to be extroverted and get to know people and no one is an enemy. Everyone is your friend. But we want to know, what, is, what does it mean to practice kingdom hospitality? And so this series, Greg and Shauna have been really preparing us. We've been looking at it from so many different angles. And so today I'm going to come and I'm going to, to help us think about how to take all that in and take it out into our everyday life. So today's sermon is entitled, Go and Do Likewise. And as I teach, it'll be very clear why we are, why we are uh, thinking about going and doing likewise. Like what? Well, like the Good Samaritan. Y'all know how I told you that I love me a good parable, right? So today we're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. But I want to caution you, because I know that when we are in church and we, have, we come across a teaching or we hear a message that, or we know that somebody's preaching on something that we've, we've read before thousands of times, we were there in the flannel graph, we taught our kids with, with veggie tails. And so we think we know everything that that passage has to teach us. But my friends, we cannot get today's nourishment on yesterday's manna. So what we're going to do is we're going to open it with fresh eyes to see what are the kingdom principles in the parable of the Good Samaritan that helps us go out into the world and be kingdom people. So let's kind of just do a real quick recap because Greg, kind of, Greg and Sean have laid a really good foundation for us. We learned here at Whitland that kingdom hospitality is practicing philozenia. It is love of the other or love of the stranger. See, in our world, we are, we are pressured and there is so, there's so much encouragement and actually examples of xenophobia, fear of the other, fear 
of the stranger. But because of the love of Jesus, because of the love that is in the Godhead, that perichoretic love, we get to live out a love of the other. God invited another into that love relationship. And so we, as kingdom people, are charged inviting others into a love relationship. The next thing that we learned was a redefinition of kingdom hospitality. Greg helped us define kingdom hospitality as making space in your life to love and welcome the stranger. So the practical application of philozenia is making space in our life to love and welcome the stranger. And so we learned that kingdom hospitality is not about presentation. Look at my big old deck. And it's not about performance. Oh my gosh, I so love you and want to get to know you. And it's not about perfection. I did it perfectly. Martha Stewart has my back on this. (laughs) Kingdom hospitality is about presence. The presence of God in our lives and our presence with those people that God places in our lives, in our everyday lives. So that's what we're going to look at today when we look at the Good Samaritan. So will you join me in prayer? Jesus, we, we can't be perfect, um, but we want to be present. And so we invite, we recognize that your presence is in this room. It's beautiful, and it moves us, it moves me. And so I pray, Jesus, that, that we sense it and that we are inspired, that the words that come out of my mouth are your words, that the way that my friends receive it is unique and meaningful for them because it's not about me and it's not about necessarily what they do, but it's about you. It's about how you are, are real and manifesting in our lives. So we acknowledge that we need you if we're going to try to do this kingdom hospitality thing. You are our king and we want to make you proud, Lord Jesus. So be in the space. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. In your name, amen. All right, so Good Samaritan, a lot of name recognition, right? We have hospitals that are named after the Good Samaritan. We have schools. There's funeral homes. Um, There's even a Good Samaritan law. Good Samaritan has so saturated our culture that we have a picture of what we think Good Samaritan looks like or the kind of person that is a Good Samaritan. And I'm going to be real with you guys. I am not always a Good Samaritan. You know when I'm not a Good Samaritan? At 7 o'clock in the morning when my son misses the bus? Mm -mm. No, not in the Morehouse. I am not kind and attentive and willing to stop. And so a lot of times when we, when we read something in Scripture, specifically that, like the parable of the Good Samaritan, that is really focused on, on our acts of kindness and generosity and mercy, some of us may feel inadequate. And what we do, which is so natural, when we feel inadequate about something in Scripture, we take a step back. We self-select out and say, mm, that's not for me. I don't know how to live that out in my life. Let me go read another parable. I have some coins. There's one about that, right? But my friends, what I want to encourage you is that if we are going to practice kingdom hospitality, then we should be intentional and strategic and think about the ways we're going to do it in our everyday lives. We can't just have a head full of knowledge about philozenia and the Greek and all those things, and it doesn't do anything that moves us out into the world. And so we're going to look at some very practical and real ways that the Good Samaritan practiced kingdom hospitality. And we're going to ask ourselves, how can I do this in my everyday life? How can I do this when I'm leaving uh, out of the parking lot today? 
So look, before we get to um, our past, or before I break down all of the different ways that we can live out practical hospitality that we see in the passage, well, we're going to go deep into the passage. We're going to look at it. And then this is a traditional line-by-line sermon today. So what we're going to do is we're going to read the passage in its entirety, and then I'm going to keep referring to it throughout the message. So let's read our passage. It's found in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He, Jesus, said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him dead and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor of the man who fell among the robbers? He said. And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. So from this passage, there are four everyday tips, four four ways that we can live out kingdom hospitality. And those four are, Kingdom hospitality moves us from guest to host. Kingdom hospitality resists fear with compassion. Kingdom hospitality is practiced in the ordinary, and kingdom hospitality relies on relationships. Now, before I go into these four lessons, these practical ways of living it out in our lives, I want to draw attention to something that was genius that Jesus did in this passage. There is a scandalous genius to what Jesus did when he taught the Good Samaritan. And it starts with the words, but a Samaritan. Jesus used a Samaritan in this sermon, or in this, in this parable, to emphasize to his hearers that they have a whole category of people that they view as outsiders that they have a whole group of people that they consider sinful and that even the, even the mention of that group of people is offensive to them, specifically from a holy person where they're in a holy space learning about the scriptures. Why would he even bring up someone like the Samaritans? Well, what I want to make sure that we do, kingdom people, whenever we look at a scripture with fresh eyes, like we're going to do today, we have to honor the past. We have to honor the context because we want to be wise when we handle the scriptures, right? So what I'm going to do is share a little bit of why that was so offensive. 
What was the scandalous nature of that? Well, the Jews and Samaritans had had a long history of animosity with one another. Hundreds of years of fighting and mistrust. It all based in whether, who was the rightful heir of the promises of Moses and Abraham. And that stemmed to who gets to inherit the land. And there was a lot of fighting. There was a lot of, there was a lot of mistrust. And so the Samaritans were actually a group of people who were inbred, meaning uh, the Jews married and had children with the Gentiles. And so that made them especially offensive. And so because of all of this history, when Jesus is in this space teaching the, about, teaching the, good, the story about the Samaritan, in response to a question of who is my neighbor, it got everyone's attention. Because they recognize there is this whole group of people that we dislike, and yet Jesus is bringing them into this story. And not just as a part of the story, the hero of this story. Throughout this whole series, we have been talking about being aware of our stranger. Who is the stranger that we view? And we have talked on things like race, and we've talked on things about politics and even belief systems. But I deeply believe that those are spaces and ways that we feel like people are a stranger, are others. But there are so many other ways that we move through our lives and there are people who are outsiders to us because we simply just don't see them. Because their experience is so different than ours, it makes us hard to recognize that they need to be called on the inside, that they have felt like outsiders. And so what I did was I threw open on social media and asked my friends, who do, how, how have you felt like an outsider? Tell me a story where you felt like somebody excluded you. And these are some of the responses that I got. When I walk into a new church, I feel like an outsider. When my friends go out and they share on social media that they were together and I realize I never got invited. My friend Amanda is a body positivity activist and a plus size writer and she says, uh, chairs with arms limit my seating options, and so I choose to avoid places where I know I literally do not fit. Many people said when they moved back to the States after working abroad, several moms, it was this conversation that broke my heart and encouraged me at the same time, because several moms were saying, well, I have a special needs child, and so I can't go to this event because it's too loud, or I can't go to this building because there's not a handicap um, entrance. I'm struggling with IEPs at my kid's school because they just don't recognize his need. And so I feel like an outsider. Some people said things like infertility or singleness in the church. And someone said, whenever I talk about my, my struggles with mental illness, I feel like an outsider. And you know what I thought was interesting? Is that every person, when they shared with me their story, they said something to the effect of, people just don't see. They just don't see me. Kingdom people, we are the ones who see. We are the ones who have been giving holy eyes to look around the world and say, oh, they're an outsider, let me bring them in. Oh, they're feeling left out, let me bring them in. Oh, there's isolation, let me bring them in. Greg told us in our very first message that there is an epidemic of isolation and loneliness in, the, in our culture. And you know what, kingdom people, we have the cure. Our kingdom hospitality is the antidote to isolation and loneliness in this world. But that's only if we have eyes to see the hurting. 
We can only bring the cure if we look for the sick and the hurting on the side of the road. So Jesus started this whole, this brought in this whole element of being aware of the other, because that's what kingdom people do. So now let's move on to our next, our next part of the message and our four ways of living out everyday kingdom hospitality. So let's look at our passage. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, and we're just going to stop right there, and when he saw him. Now, what I think is so, uh, what, what, I can, what I so relate to with the Good Samaritan is that the Samaritan didn't start his day. Jesus didn't say he started his day and said, I am going to go help somebody on the side of the road. Load up my mule. Give me all the supplies. Someone needs my help. Jesus didn't say that he had a mission of looking for the man who was accosted by the robbers. He was just simply going about his business on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was going on this very dangerous route. And as he journeyed, he came across somebody who succumbed to the danger of that route. And in that moment, his, his everyday, normal, maybe trip had a new mission. It had a kingdom mission. He was going to stop and care for the man who was hurt. Kingdom people, we don't have to wait for an invitation. We don't have to wait for an event. We don't have to wait until we have everything, all, in, all our ducks in a row before we go out and we begin practicing hospitality. We practice hospitality as we go. The moment you step out in that gathering area and you get into your car and you get home, you are called and you are charged with practicing kingdom hospitality. So you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait. That moment, he, his, his trip had a mission. And I know a lot of times when we wake up and we go about our everyday lives, we're kind of on autopilot, right? We get up, we make the coffee, we get the kids on the bus because they actually got up in time to get on the bus. We get to work, we log on to our computer, we do our work, we go home, we make dinner, maybe we do a little exercise, we go to bed, start it all over again, right? But kingdom people, we reject autopilot. We move through our world with this sense of purpose and awareness because our eyes are open. When Greg taught us about kingdom hospitality, he said that God was the first one to practice hospitality. He was the host, and he invited us in as guests. Well, then kingdom hospitality, when we practice it in the world, we are no longer the guests. We are the hosts. Kingdom hospitality moves us from guests to hosts. So that means that in this very room, if there's somebody next to you that you don't know, you get to be a host to them. This means that when you go out into your, into, your, into your day with your everyday life, with your friends and your coworkers, you get to bring the kingdom of God with you because as, my, as a writer, uh, Rosaria Butterfield said, the gospel comes with a house key. Our father has thrown open the doors and he said, go and bring people in. There's room at my table. And you and I moved from guests to host. We bring people in. That is kingdom hospitality as we go. So we're going to practice this together as a group just right now. No, I'm not going to make you talk to somebody next to you. I'm going to make you talk to somebody else. There's a whole group of people who are listening in right now, and it's our Pod Richner community. 
And I know, because I listen to the podcast for uh, over a decade, that I know that when I listen in, I love this community so much, but sometimes I kind of feel like I'm just, I'm not really a part of it. I kind of feel like an outsider. And so what we're going to do is we are going to say hi, Podrishioners, and then we're going to fill this room with the loudest celebration we could possibly fill it with. Because here's the deal. I know that when people are listening to podcasts, they're working out or hiding from their kids or (laughs) taking the dog for a walk (laughs) or cleaning their house. I know I was. So we're going to celebrate whatever it is that they're doing and let them know that we see them. We're going to move from guests to hosts. Are you guys ready? All right, I'm going to count to three, I'm going to, and then we're going to say, hi, Podrishners, and then we're going to fill this room with celebration. You ready? One, two, three. Hi, Podrishners! So one of my roles as outreach pastor is I get to work over at the plaza and get to know some of the kids from the lift and really think about, you know, what goes on over there because it's very unique that a church owns a movie theater on its own property. And what's been really fun is uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor was playing, and, and I've seen some of you, some of you coming out that room, that theater, just bawling, tears. And I'm like, come, let me hold you, let me pray for you, it's going to be Okay. Because that that documentary is incredibly moving about the kindness and heart of Fred Rogers. And I want to tell you a story about Fred Rogers that really is a great picture of moving from guest to host. So there was a man, a student, his name was Anthony Bresnikan. And Anthony was going to the University of Pennsylvania. He was first or second year there. He wanted to be a writer, and every time he turned in a piece, it was rejected. Then his grandfather passed away, and he was just really struggling at school, feeling lonely and isolated on campus. So many of our college students deal with this sense of isolation and struggle. And so this is what he was going through. through. And one day as he was walking through a common area in his, uh, in his building, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor from <laughs> Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was playing. And you know, I, I don't think that a bunch of college students were watching Mr. Rogers. I mean, that's kind of weird, but <laughs> I think it was one of those instances where somebody turned on something and then they got up and left and then whatever was on just kept playing. This has happened in my house tons of times. That is why I ended up watching Pokemon. Um, but so Anthony walks through and he, and he is captivated by the kindness of Mr. Rogers. He is moved by the words of, what do you do with all that mad that you feel? Because he was so mad at the state of his life. And so he sat and he watched, and it actually really ministered to him, and he was so surprised about that. So he gets up, and he has new energy, and goes back into his life. So he's walking through campus one day, and he walks into a building, and the elevator opens up, and lo and behold, who was in that elevator? Fred Rogers. (laughs) With the cardigan, and the twinkle in his eye, and the smile that makes everything better. And so Anthony steps in the elevator, and, and he's riding with Mr. Rogers, and he, he's trying to do that thing where you're like, I don't want to be that person, but I do want to tell him, and I don't know, it's, gonna, it's weird, are they going to run from me? And he's, and he's telling himself, I, you know what, I'm just not going to say anything. So then Mr. Rogers gets out, and he's starting to leave, and Anthony just can't let this moment pass. That, the, the experience of, of, of learning and being, and being seen through the TV screen by Mr. Rogers was so profound for him, he didn't want to let it pass. So he runs after Mr. Rogers, and he says, and he tells him the story about the loss and the writing, and, the, and, and Mr. Rogers stops me, and he says, are you one of my television neighbors? 
And Anthony's like, yes, yes. And so Mr. Rogers like, well, what's going on? And so Anthony tells him a little bit more, and, he, and Mr. Rogers pulls him aside. And, and, and imagine, he's probably on his way to an important meeting, but he took some time and pulled him aside, and he listened to him. And, and then at the end of their conversation, Mr. Rogers says, thanks for being my neighbor. <laughs> this had such an effect on him that as a writer, he still he, he writes about that often. He reflects on that moment of being seen. Kingdom people, what would it look like if we walk through the world and say, are you my neighbor? Are you my neighbor? Thank you for being my neighbor. Kingdom hospitality moves us from guests to hosts. Let's look back at our passage today for our next. But a Samaritan, okay, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and he saw him. Now we're going to be looking out for people, right? Okay. He had compassion. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Kingdom hospitality resists fear with compassion. Kingdom hospitality resists fear with compassion. Remember how I told you that that truck was a dangerous truck? You remember how I told you that, um, that the Good Samaritan, as he was going, was prepared for the danger of that truck? knowing that that was a dangerous track. There's a lot of fear that is bound up into that. Also, there's a fear that he's a Samaritan and that man who was hurt is more than likely a Jew, so he might reject him just on basis of ethnicity. So fear of rejection was there. And yet, the Good Samaritan had compassion. Now, I know for a lot of us, we think compassion means, oh, I just feel so bad. And that's not terrible. I mean, it's good for us to feel bad about the plight of others, but compassion is so much deeper than that. Compassion is suffering together. Compassion is entering into the suffering, the pain of that person. You see, the Good Samaritan had to stop and care for someone on a dangerous path. He didn't know there was another set of bandits coming down his way. He didn't know there was another set of Jews who would see him and know he's a Samaritan and and accost him and, and make him feel terrible and disrespect him. He didn't know, but he stopped and he cared for this person because compassion forces us, it, it moves us to suffer with others like Christ suffered for us. When we were in New Orleans, we intentionally wanted to share in the suffering of a neighborhood. And so we moved into Holly Grove, which was known for its gang violence. So many people told us not to, but my husband used to be a gang member. And so he felt confident that we as a family could be, could be peacemakers in that community. That community was known for a lot of drive-bys and, and drug deals. And we had a three-year-old at that point, a two-year-old at that point. And, and I just found out I was pregnant. And so a lot of people were like, you guys are crazy, but it was a value for us to move in and love this neighborhood. Um, and so we moved in, and my husband was working at the community center, and, and, I, and I was practicing hospitality and caring for our family from our home. We were both practicing hospitality, but in different spaces. And a few months into working in the community center, my husband, I noticed, would come home and go straight to our bedroom and start praying. And this happened for a few weeks, and I love my husband, but he's not particularly pious. 
I mean, his prayer life is not that strong all the time. And so there was something going on. And I wanted to ask him, why do you keep going straight to our room and praying? But we were so young in our marriage, and I didn't quite know how to, how to encourage him in his spiritual life yet. And so I didn't. I didn't ask him anything. Well, one day, I'm playing with our son, and he comes to me, and he says, babe, I have a favor. And I said, okay. He goes, I need you to make fried chicken because your fried chicken is the best I've ever had. And if there is anything you can tell a black woman from the South (laughs) to get her to do whatever you want her to do, it is that her fried chicken is the best you've ever had. So I was like, I will do anything you want. What? Where's the buttermilk? Get the spices. Let's do this. He said, I want to invite some kids from the center over because I I want you to get to know them. I said, okay, sure. Um, And so he he invites the kids over. And we put a day on the calendar, and, um, and I'm getting ready, got the buttermilk, got the spices, singing while I'm making the chicken, even though at that point in my pregnancy, the smell of raw chicken made me sick. So it was like, I am suffering for you, Jesus. So I'm getting everything ready just hours before these kids are supposed to come into my home. And I don't know anything except for there are some kids from the center that, I want, that my husband wants me to get to know. And so my husband sidles up to me again. We're new in our marriage, so we're just figuring out this ministry thing together. And he says, there's something I need to tell you. And I was like, what? And, and he was like, well, so there have been some fights at the community center, which was very strange because the community center was kind of like a sacred space. All the gang members kind of left their problems um, on the streets, and they didn't bring it into the center. But there was some gang, there was some gang violence beginning in the community center. And so that was, that's why my husband was so moved, because the space that he wanted to be a peacemaker was, so full of, was becoming full of violence. And so he said, so there's been some fighting, and one of the kids brought a gun. And so um, I invited those kids to the house tonight. And I was like, wait, hold up. And he's like, yeah, the, the kid who brought the gun and the one he was going to shoot and a few of their friends, which in gang language are called lieutenants, a few of their lieutenants are coming over. And I was like, are you bringing a gang war to my house? My chicken cannot cover that. What are you doing? And I said, no, c- call these kids, take money out of our savings, go to Popeye's. Um, their chicken can cover that, not mine. Um, And so I said, no, I can't, because I was so full of fear. I had a three-year-old. I was pregnant. Yeah, I moved in to love the neighborhood, but I wanted to love him out there, not at my kitchen table. And so my husband said, but babe, this is why we moved here, to be peacemakers in this neighborhood. We, We get a chance to share what they're suffering. We get a chance to hear their stories and find out why they're fighting. So these kids came, they ate my chicken, things are fine. My husband laid out some art supplies and we kind of worked through some stuff with art. But because I was willing to suffer and hear them and enter into their pain, these kids who were selling drugs, not because they necessarily wanted to, but because they needed a way to make ends meet, these kids who were, who were violent and full of bravado, not because they wanted to, but because they're afraid themselves, I got to sit and listen to their stories, and my fear was resisted with compassion because kingdom hospitality resists fear with compassion. Let's look back at our passage. All right, so but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. 
And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next thing that we learn from this passage is that kingdom hospitality is practiced in the ordinary. So many times we think that in order to truly practice hospitality, we have to have all the right things, like I said. But hospitality is not about perfection. It's not about performance. It's about our presence. It's about what we have in our hands. It's about the gifts we have right now. It's about the knowledge we have that can somehow bless somebody else. That we can say, I see that thing that makes you feel like an outsider, and I'm going to bring you in by offering you something that I have already with me. I'm not going to go home and wait till I figure it out and then come take care of you. That opportunity might already pass. There is a man who experienced this kind of hospitality on the subway in New York City. He got a phone call that I've gotten before that says, your kid is struggling in math class, specifically in algebra. And, and it, he just failed a test, and we've got to pull his grade up. And so this father was so frustrated and so overwhelmed because math is hard, y'all. And he didn't know how to help his son. And so he printed out a bunch of worksheets, and he jumped on the subway. And as he was on the subway, he's looking over the, the algebra and trying to figure it out. And a bystander, a woman named Denise Wilson, was looking in, just noticing him trying, just talking it through, and she could see the consternation on his face. And, and so she, she starts watching because the man next to him is paying special attention to what the father, whose name is Corey, do, is doing. And so he leans over and he says, I used to be a math teacher, and so I know exactly what you're working on. Can I help you figure it out? And so the, so the teacher starts helping Corey, and then Corey explains, this isn't for me, this is for my son. I'm not quite sure how to go home and teach him all this. And so the math teacher says, oh, I have the best way to teach this, this formula. And so he starts telling him everything that he knew as a teacher to go home so that that, that man's son, so that Corey's son can thrive in math class. And so this woman, Denise, is watching this whole thing. So she snaps a picture, and she shares it, and it's shared thousands of times on social media. People Magazine pick it up and share it on their website. And she said, I felt good to see two complete strangers come together. I felt like both of them left each other with a gift. You see, that math teacher had the knowledge, and he had the desire to enter into that father's life. And he probably never even met that kid, but because he wanted to let that man know that he saw him and to help him, he practiced kingdom hospitality. So what do you have that you can practice kingdom hospitality with? Can you bake bread? Bake bread for the kingdom. Do you do spreadsheets really well? I have some work for you, but then other than that, go. Go, go make spreadsheets for the kingdom. Can you work on cars? Work on cars for the kingdom. Do you throw a really great dinner party? Because, yeah, that's part of hospitality, too. Invite people over for, for dinner. I will share with you my recipe for fried chicken, I promise. But whatever you have in your hands, my friends, practice kingdom hospitality with it. And let's move on to the passage for our last practice of kingdom hospitality. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, as I've been preaching, I hope that there is a word that you've noticed me using. If not, I'm going to tell you now. 
but it's practicing hospitality. You see, because we are what is called a practicing community. We are a community that, that tries out different ways of, of creating peace and seeking wholeness for others. We are kingdom people, and this is our lab. This is our holy lab. And so we practice different ways of doing hospitality, but we can't practice on our own. Hospitality is not a solitary thing. We practice it in community with each other. You see, I find it so interesting that kingdom hospitality relies on relationships. And I think that Jesus knew this, and that is why he included it in his parable. Because he could have easily left it at the man took care of him and put him on his, go, on, his, on his own animal and moved him on. That could have been the end of our parable. We would have been like, Jesus, you are the best. I'm going to do that right now. But Jesus knew that kingdom hospitality relies on relationship. That if we are going to do this thing, that we're going to tap into the relationship of God and then live it out in our world that we need each other. And what I, what I love to imagine, because I know this is a parable, so this didn't actually happen, but I love to imagine the effect that the Samaritan's invitation to be a co-conspirator of good had on that innkeeper. I like to imagine that that innkeeper was honored, that he was invited in to care, that he was moved that this stranger took care of someone, that he was thankful for the extra money that kept his inn going. You see, just like Denise Wilson looking in on Corey and the math teacher, the world is looking in on us and saying, what is it that they're doing? Why do they do it that way? That is so interesting. And the world is mobilized and energized, and they want to know Jesus. And kingdom people, that is our greatest calling, to make the world intrigued by Jesus. So kingdom hospitality relies on relationships for two reasons. One, for wisdom. When the, when the Samaritan knew that he didn't have the resources and the time to fully take care of the person, he invited someone in. And this is what we get to do. We get to invite others in. You know, someone asked me, what is Woodland doing for the tent city on Hiawatha? And I didn't know. I'm a transplant, and I don't quite understand all the history of it. And so as much as I wanted to say, here's all my experience of serving on Skid Row and understanding tent cities in another city, I had to say, I don't really understand. And so I had to go and learn and say, maybe you can partner with this person or maybe you can learn from here because I want to be wise in the way that I practice kingdom hospitality because I know some people have been doing work that I haven't. Scripture says iron sharpens iron. And the last reason is for morale. We get to be energized and excited by the work that we're doing together. And that is why I love being your outreach pastor here at Woodland because I know that right now there are so many ways that we are practicing kingdom hospitality, that we are making space for people. And so I know you at this point in the sermon, you might be thinking, okay, Oshina, I'm ready to go. What do I do? What do I do? Well, there are some ways that you can practice kingdom hospitality in relationships here at Woodland. And there's a flyer out front if you want to take a look at it a little bit more. But a few ways that I want to highlight are the growth groups which meet at Wednesday together. It's a time for you to talk about the sermon together and, and be energized and have, our, have your morale lifted to be kingdom people in a broken world. The next thing that I want to highlight is the refuge. And this is a community that welcomes in anybody at any place in their life who might be struggling with anything. And it's a supportive, kind, welcoming space. I also want to highlight the lift 
which is, which is the program that focuses on kids' social emotional wellness. It also has a job program um, that they, the kids get to work at the plaza. And I tell you, I've met so many kids from the plaza, and I am so encouraged by the work that they're doing and the growth that they are showing. And the last one is Project, amen. And the last one is Project Home. And this is really meaningful for us right now because winter is coming, yes, I know. And I'm really excited about that. But we open up, we make, we make space, literally make space in our building for families um, during the night um, who are homeless between the months of March and April. And so as they're gearing up to think about how do we, be, how do we practice kingdom hospitality for those families, um, you can check in um, with the person who's organizing that, Mary Anderson. Her information is at the Hello Desk. So my friends, as we close... Are you going to go out and practice kingdom hospitality? I hope you are. I hope that you see the outsider. I hope that you, that you make space for them. I hope that you use what you have in your hands. I hope that you resist fear with compassion. And I hope that you build relationships. And so to that end, let me pray for you. <clears throat> I'd like to go ahead and invite the prayer team to come up. If you have a need, it is their honor and joy to pray for you. And so they will be here at the end of the service. But if you feel comfortable, will you outstretch your hands as if you're receiving a gift, and I will send this benediction out to you. May you have eyes to see the outsider, courage to face fear with compassion, creativity to use what you have and what you've been given to show the love of Jesus. May you be rooted in your kingdom community and your kingdom identity. May you be sharpened and encouraged May you love the Lord your, your God with your heart and all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And yes, may you love your neighbor as yourself. May you learn from the example of the Good Samaritan, and may you go and do likewise as you practice kingdom hospitality. Amen. Go in peace, my friends. Thank you.